Welcome to our service. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to welcome you online. And we have done everything we know how to do for the past week to become a church that is competent at doing this, ministering to an empty room, yet to a full audience. And it's our hope that you would receive the Spirit of God in the same way you would have if you were here. Thank you for joining in. And I pray the Holy Ghost really touches you today. Uh, All week long, I've been in conversation with not only people in the community who are leaders in the body of Christ, but people who are outside in our nation, indeed internationally, trying to come up with solutions, remedies, prayers, sermons that could best minister to folks in this time of need. And there there is a new initiative called United 714. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, where God says to, to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And there are churches, literally, that represent hundreds of thousands of believers all across the country that are coming together and praying right now on a Sunday morning the same prayer, asking God for his mercy, not only on our land, but the land. And I'd like to pray that prayer and and would ask that you join with me in it. Heavenly Father, we are asking you to bring your kingdom into our broken world. As COVID-19 produces uncertainty around the world, may millions of people in every nation find healing safety, security, and salvation is a turn to you in repentance and faith. And Father, in addition to that prayer, I'm asking for your help for our leaders, that you would give them wisdom. And for the people who have been afflicted by this disease, either lost loved ones or have been taken ill by it themselves. I pray for your healing for those that are ill and your help and strengthening for those who have lost loved ones. And lastly, for your protection upon our community as we move forward in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, We're going to look at a passage of scripture today that allows us to understand what it looks like to have the presence of God in our midst even when it doesn't look like or feel like he's with us. It's a familiar passage. It's in Psalm 23. But before we get there, I'd like to at least frame the moment that allows you to understand the extraordinary time in which we find ourselves. I am and have been moved all week in a a way like Paul. Sometimes you don't want to identify with people in the Bible. You'd rather do it in a different way with people in the Bible, but sometimes you have to identify with them fully. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, when somebody falls into sin, don't I feel it? When somebody is weak, don't I become so? When somebody who is a leader sees his people or people that he represents going through difficulty. It should affect him. And I am deeply affected. 
Yet my affectation doesn't disturb my idea of what progress looks like. It just makes me more sensitive and allows my faith to be informed about how we need to move forward. And I'm, I'm, I'm deeply in touch with the fear that is in our society. I get it. Folks wake up and don't know what today will be. Everything changes every couple hours. Panic is the order of the day. Everybody's making decisions based on how they feel at the minute. And what it looks like might happen. Our leaders don't know what to do, and I'm praying for them. They have no clue. And I get it. We've never been here before, at least not like this. And so I'm deeply in touch with what's happening. And my compassion over, is overwhelmingly trying to touch it. But compassion is not the only thing that needs to be that with which we lead in this time. There needs to be an atmosphere of faith. A looking to what we cannot see rather than just what we do see. What we do see does inform us about how we need to apply our faith. But what we do see does not define our faith. And so I can't let fear begin to dictate what tomorrow is supposed to be for me. And I don't want fear to dictate what tomorrow is supposed to be for you. My God's bigger than that. See, fear is all based on loss. The possibility of losing something that you care deeply about. And we Christians, we've lost the most important thing already. We've lost our lives. And so this is why John says in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. Because when we have given ourselves to God fully, and he has cared for us, provided for us, he has given his son to us, he's recognized not only where we are, but, but, but taken us from where we are and brought us to a new spot. He's matured us, he's helped us, he's provided for us in every way, he's given his son for us. When we recognize the kind of love he has given to us, we recognize that it is perfect. It can't get any better than that. And considering the fact that we've already lost our lives in him, the perfect love he gives us deals with all the fear that might be present in somebody's life because we understand how much he loves us, how much he cares about us. And when fear is based on loss, what do I lose when I've lost my life? When I've given my life to him, what can I lose after that? I've already got him. I've got all of him. And as a result, he said he'd never leave me or forsake me. He said he'd be with me always. And that kind of security allows me the privilege of getting up every day in the midst of overwhelming circumstances and finding the sense of security and safety because I realize that I've got him. Therefore, everything else might go, but I have him. And therefore, I do not fear. Now, that's at a baseline. That's if everything else goes. But my God always provides for me. Even in times of famine, he provides for me. And so I fear not daily and choose to express my faith at a level of trust that sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people because I'm looking at things that I don't see rather than things that I do. And I choose to express what I don't see rather than the things that I do and let that define the things that I do. Though I, I'm not ignoring the things that I do, I have a faith that supersedes that. And this is the benefit that we have as believers of expressing our faith in a way that is not confined by the realities that we see in this world. And it's not ignoring them. It's not trying to be somebody who is better than everybody else. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just living in a different reality. 
And it's the reality in which Paul lived in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. The things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Therefore, I'm not going to base my life on the things that are temporary, but on the things that are eternal. Because the things that are unseen, if I, if I focus on that, if I focus on the God I cannot see with my natural eyes, but do see with my spiritual eyes, then the things that I see in the natural will, will be now, in comparison to my God, put, in, put in, 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 in the proper framework so that he is big and they are small. And he is provision, even in the midst of lack. I can see things that I cannot see in the natural, which encourages me every day to be in faith and to find happiness in the midst of sadness, to find joy in the midst of sorrow, to find strength when I am weak. Because my God is in the midst of it, and he is much bigger than whatever I see. That's where I have to live in this environment. And as that is the privilege we believers have every day of holding on to our God and seeing things. Now, it's not just for us. It's for others. So I'm always trying to figure out, hey, come here. Can you see it? I'm letting you know it's there. The reality of my God is there. Can you see it? Much like Elisha tried to help with his servant. When his servant was scared to death regarding the enemies who were all around him in the city. And they were coming to get him. Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And he saw on the hills around the city in which they were. The chariots of God and the horsemen of Israel all over. And he said, you, you have no idea how we are protected in the midst of our enemies. This is the benefit that we have in the kingdom. And this is the place in which we are supposed to live, not vacation. Not visit. Live. Turn with me over to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 1. The title of the message is Being Led. Being Led. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me, for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, help us as we study your word. Church, who is your leader? You find out who your leader is by who you're following. And I can't let the, the cacophony of sounds out there that are contrary to my word lead me. I can't let them lead my emotions. I can't let them lead my thought life. I can't let them lead my family. I can't let them lead my staff. I can't let them lead the environment in which I find myself because I am supposed to be an agent of change wherever I go. And forgive me for moving my finger a lot. <laughs> I'm supposed to be that. And I'm following a different lead. And I'm not mad at all the other organizations that are trying to figure out what is most true. They don't have any kind of spiritual insight, and so they're going on what they know is fact. I get it. But I can't.
can't be dictated by that, nor can I let that environment begin to infect mine. I've got to filter it through, get the information I need necessary so that I can make quality decisions but not base my decisions on the information that I got. Who is leading you during this time? What is leading you during this time? Your Lord has not changed. The environment in which we find ourselves, this isn't going to be popular, but the environment in which we find ourselves is much more normal according to what we deserve. You, we have no idea how much we live under the grace and mercy of God every day. We have no idea. We don't understand the battle for humanity that rages around us in the invisible realm. That the enemy hates us. And he's doing everything he can to try to destroy us. Because we are bearing his image, he cannot get to God. So the best thing he can do is get us. We look like him. And he's doing everything he possibly can to mar humanity that he might hurt God. And the battle rages, but most of the time, we don't feel it. Because the mercy of God attends our nation's way. Nations that don't even like him, their way. He provides. He lets the sun come up. He brings rain in this due season. He's merciful. He's kind. He protects us. We don't have regular pandemics. And we think that's normal. But every once in a while, we understand a little bit more about the battle that rages. We get just a glimpse of the reality that the curse has, has created. And we begin to think, what's going on? This, 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 is, this should not be. You're, you're right. It shouldn't be, but it is. And the only reason it is in the reality that we feel is because we, the, the little bubble that, under which we've been living has been burst a little. And this is what, this is what it, it feels like normally without the grace of God. And still in the middle of it, we're experiencing his grace. The Lord is so good to us. He is so good to us. He protects us. He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He is amazing. But church, I don't want us to miss the opportunities that are before us. In moments like this, we want to figure out how we can get around our campfires and keep ourselves warm. But there are people out there that desperately need help. They don't have any perspective. And so I think it's, I think it's really incumbent upon us to think that we are, we're the healing agent to the community. We're the help to the community. And in moments like this, they're more open than they would be otherwise. Um, storms, really bad storms. I mean, those storms that cause tornadoes are prevalent during this time of the year especially. I grew up in Kansas, that's Tornado Alley, and we'd have them every year. The sirens would, would blaze in the middle of the night. We'd have to run downstairs and, and escape the danger. Our house never got hit, but neighborhoods did that were close to ours. And there are reports that straws, not talking about the straws that are made by Dixie, but straws that actually come in the field after a storm with a tornado, 
actually went into the trunk of a tree because of the velocity at which they were traveling from the winds. Now there are a bunch of scientists that say that's impossible because you'd have to have extraordinary winds, you'd have to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 340 mile an hour winds in order to produce a velocity that would require a, 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 a straw to, to travel at such a, an impact so that it could actually go through the tree rather than be obliterated as it hit the tree. True, but other things happen. And I've read a number of things on the internet regarding this and scientists that say it's not just the speed at which the straw is traveling, but it's the atmosphere that is created while the straw is traveling at the speed it, it's going. In that <clears throat> when a storm happens, uh, it's called generally a low pressure system which means a barometric, barometric pressure under which we live changes. Now, the air has weight. It has weight. We don't think so because we live this way. And it's like ask, asking a fish, how's the water? Eh, it doesn't know. It lives in it. We, we live in the air and we don't feel its weight except when we get in an elevator. And when we get in an elevator, Go up, go down, our ears pop. What is that? That is the lack of weight as we go up, meaning it's not as heavy the higher we go because the air is not pushing down as much on itself because we've now moved out of some of the air so it's lighter up here than it is down here. So we feel it in our ears, our ears pop. And when we come down, we feel more weight because we're under more air. Air has weight. But in a, in a storm, the barometric pressure drops. The atmosphere changes and it drops precipitously. And the closer you get to the tornado, the more it drops. And when the pressure drops, it no longer, meaning the air that is around everything, no longer has the same force of keeping things together as it normally would. Meaning, since the air actually pushes things down, it pushes things in as well. And when there is not as much air to do that, things begin to expand. And so tree trunks literally expand when the barometric pressure drops, which means you don't have to have near as much velocity as you normally would in order to impact something. You don't have to preach as hard. You don't have to be as strong. All you have to be is accurate. And you have to make sure that you are you are, you are intentional about making sure whatever you say impacts the person. In environments like this of storm, their hearts are much more open. Where it used to be that, 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 that concrete was down here and you preached and nobody was listening. Now, the, the atmosphere has changed. And all you need is a little bit of velocity and a little bit of accuracy. And the same word you said two weeks ago... Now they're saying, what, 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 was, what was that you, what was that you said? I, I, okay, what, what church do you, what, what Bible, tell me, what's that? But if you don't minister, if you don't look for, the, for this environment that has changed to be that which is an opportunity for you to touch somebody, then the straw won't go in the tree. I beg you, this is an opportunity. Who's your leader? God is leading us into his presence and he's also leading us to people. What Pastor Corey talked about earlier, all the folks that we're trying to serve, we're trying to make our congregation an outreach tool to meet the needs of the folks out there that are going through the tornado storms. And, and the psalmist David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He, he proclaims it to be so and you, you need to do that. You, the Lord is my shepherd. 
If he is, then let him lead you. But then he makes a declaration. He says, I shall not want. He doesn't say, I hope I won't want. I wish I did not want. He realizes if God is his shepherd, he shall not want. If the Lord is leading us on a regular basis, we can be confident that he is going to be our provider. If, if my children were ever, to, they never did this, never did this. But if, 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 if when they were 12, 10, 9, 7, 5, 6, and 1, came to me and said, Daddy, Daddy, woke me up in the morning, Daddy, Daddy, oh, we're, so, we're so concerned. By what, baby? What's wrong? We don't, we don't, we don't know. There's going to be food in the refrigerator. There's going to be breakfast this morning. Who have you been talking to? Who have you, who have you been talking? Where did you get the idea that I would not provide? Where'd you, how, why are you crying? What is going on with you? I begin to think that not, they're now either listening to the wrong voice or thinking that I have not proven myself as somebody who cares enough about them to make sure they have what they need. They never did that. But if they did, that's the way I'd feel. When we begin to think that God can't provide, that's the way he feels. And we need to proclaim, I shall not want, because God is my shepherd. And what does he do? He leads me. He leads me in such a way that he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, when sheep are lying down in green pastures, they're full. They're content. They're confident that their shepherd has their back. They don't have to be on the alert. They're not on their feet ready to run from the nearest wolf. They're set. When, the, when David says, he makes me lie down, that says everything about contentment and trust. They've eaten their fill. It's a green pasture. Hear me. It's a green pasture in which the sheep is lying down. And when they lie down, they don't eat. They eat standing up. When they're lying down, there's an abundance around them, but they don't eat it. They've already had their fill. There is a sense that everything around them is as it should be. But listen, nothing with David was as it should be. The territory over which he was stewarding, ruling, <laughs> he was surrounded by enemies. We're going to get to it in a minute. Surrounded by enemies. But he knew that God was providing. Made him lie down in green pastures. Led him beside quiet waters. Sheep generally don't like to drink from still waters. Excuse me, turbulent waters. They like to drink from still waters. And, and in this environment, God wants to give you still waters. That's why I'm coming to you today as, as well as I can. Integrating all that's going on in our society, the turbulence and, and the upheaval, and letting you know there is a stream that makes glad the city of God. And if you will listen, I may not be the best presenter to you today. There may be other folks that you can go to online and find better sermons. I get it. I'm not the best of anything. But I am the faucet from which you are drinking right now. Drink deeply. Don't let this stuff pass you by. There's a stillness in the water that is to provide for you today that allows calm and solemnity in your soul that directs you properly toward God and toward people. Drink deeply. Still waters. And he restores your soul. 
you who have been disquieted, sit in the presence of God. Let there be a restoration of soul. And he will guide you in paths of righteousness. He'll let you know the right thing to do. For his name's sake. So when you do the right thing, make sure you give him the credit. There's no question that he used you in the process, and I get it. But to him be all the glory all the time. All the time. He guides you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, here's the apparent disconnect. He's guiding me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He was just guiding me. How'd I get here? How did I get here? (laughs) This is my point. Simply because we get to light out at green pastures does not mean that it's naturally safe. It just means that our shepherd has got our back. We live in an environment that is antagonistic to our well-being. And every once in a while the veil is lifted and we get to see it. This is it. But our God has not changed nor has his protection for us. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. My bride and I were in Israel last month. And there is a valley of the shadow of death that is right outside the city of Jerusalem. It's a valley, small valley, right outside the walls. And on the other side of the valley, it's a dip, then it rises again to another, uh, to another peak. But as the peak rises, there are graves. It's a cemetery. And that was known as the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. You walk through it, and it's kind of eerie. I mean, very few people ever want to have a picnic in a cemetery. It's a little strange. You visit to have a moment to remember, and then you leave. Nobody ever camps out there because it, it's a reminder of where everybody is going at some point and what has been lost. It's not a pleasant spot. And David was talking about that. Yet there was also a valley of the shadow of death in which shepherds would lead their sheep on a regular basis in order to get to the most green pasture quickly. And it was a cavern that had hills, excuse me, well, all valleys obviously have hills on either side, but had rocks behind which wolves and, and, and lions could hide. And it was so narrow that the sheep could only go in one by one or two by two. They couldn't go in as a flock and feel protected. And the shepherd had to go in front of them, behind them, other shepherds on the sides, and the sheep would get very, very nervous because they realized these rocks here might hide a predator. And you'd hear them buying all the way through. But those who had been through on a regular basis understood this. I came through last time because my shepherd was really good. And he had already checked out all the environments to make sure that we were going to be safe. I can go through the valley of the shadow of death and I will not fear. I won't fear. Again, fear is based on what you might lose. And if we've lost everything, there is no reason to fear. Secondly, there is no reason to fear because perfect love casts it out if there is a reason. And I've just oxymoronized myself. I get it. But I'm trying to figure out how to get in your soul to the degree that you can release every questionable idea about why in the world you need to be overly concerned. My mother, as we were growing up, All mothers have this for the most part, and they have to root it out intentionally just to be uh, most biblically sound. And I'm not being critical of mothers. I love mothers. My mother was one, obviously, and I have a wife who's a mother. You get what I'm trying to say. I don't have a lot of time today. I'm trying to get through the sermon, but I want you to understand. My mother would tell me when I came home a little bit too late, you know, 15 minutes after curfew, boy, I was worried about you. I said, Mama, stop. I'm good. She said, it's my job. My job to worry about you. 
I thought, it's hard to argue with you. I get it. But there's something wrong with that. Now, I didn't say any of that. I just thought it in my brain. Sometimes we think that over-concern is our responsibility. Mm, I don't know. In fact, I know, no. We need to be people who are concerned, but rightly so in applying our faith. Worry, fear are never a good option. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because your rod and your staff are with me, and you are. You are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff represent the word of God, the direction of God, the discipline of God, all those things that help us stay in line like we should be. And I don't know that there is a better time for you to say, thank you, Lord, for your discipline than now. Thank you, Lord, for your correction, because I was straying a little bit left, leading my family, leading myself in a way that I should not go, letting fear be my guide, and I'm getting right back in line with what you want. I choose to follow your correction, your direction, let your word and your staff, your authority, help me to go in the right way, and I want you to know, God, that you are with me, helps me every day. Oh, in times like this, you can hear him better. It's not because he's speaking louder or more clearly. It's because you have now turned your ear to the right station. You're not listening to everything else. There's no competition with the cacophony of sounds and voices out there. You get in the presence of God, you're crying out to it. All of a sudden, you hear him like you never have before. And now he seems like he's more with you than he ever has been. He's always been there. But it seems that way because you are now in tune with him more. He is with you. And he anoints your head with oil. Now, two things can be said from this as I begin to close. One, uh, sheep would get fly bites all over them. And the, the shepherd would come and put oil on them. And that would be the salve that would begin the process of healing. So that's a possibility. But... Never did anybody as a shepherd call that an anointing. It was a remedy. And so it could be a possibility because he's talking about a shepherd and he's talking about sheep. I get it. But there's another possibility. That he's talking about what would happen to the high priest or anybody who was in the presence of God. And what would, what would occur uh, with respect to them being prepared to go in. And there was an anointing that would take place. And it wasn't just oil, meaning Crisco, Wesson. We're not talking about just olive oil from a tree. We're talking about aromatic oil. I'm talking about perfume. He anoints my head with oil. Very few people ever put on cologne or perfume unless they are dressed the way they ought to be and going to a very peaceful spot. I don't know any construction workers that put on cologne. I don't know any football players before they get dressed, put on cologne. Generally speaking, you're going to an atmosphere that is prepared for you, that you don't have to fight through, that you don't have to work hard for, that's ready for you. And God, which leads us to the very next thing. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I realize I switched them, but I did so because I wanted to build the case. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As I said before, David was in Israel. All around him were enemies. Please understand, 
God does stuff that is counterintuitive. Enemies were every place. Yet he was at peace in the midst of being surrounded by them. He could eat every day, realizing that the Moabites were over here, the Philistines were over here, the Ammonites were over here, and they could attack any day. But he went to sleep with great peace, lying his head on the pillow, realizing, God's got me. Enemies are around us every day. We just get to realize them every once in a while. But he's been fighting for us all along the way. And there is a banqueting table. There is a, there is a feast prepared. My point is this. That God wants to, to let you know that there is stuff he has designed so that you can be provided for even in the midst of conflict that allows you to wake up with peace every day and put cologne on and walk out into the presence of people with the presence of God being the aromatic sense they look at in your life. Let me give you a little analogy. Um, Paul says that we, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are the fragrance of God uh, uh, arising as a sweet aroma to him. In chapter 2, verse 10 through 12, arising as a sweet aroma, we manifest the knowledge of him in every place. Well, he's referring to the fact that when the priest was anointed by God to do what he was supposed to do, and he went into the presence of God, the tabernacle or the temple, and he served, there was incense there, and that incense could only be prescribed or as a recipe for the tabernacle and temple. Couldn't be any place else. You couldn't buy it at Nordstrom's. It was only for one spot, a, a specific recipe. And when they went through that process, the anointing as well as being in the atmosphere where the incense was rising in the tabernacle of the temple, and the priest came out, he had an aroma on him. And wherever he went throughout the rest of the, 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 the city, the, the, the town or, or the, the wilderness, as the people were camped out, people would go, <laughs> you've been in the presence of God. Can people smell it on you? Can they smell the presence of God wherever you go? That's the way it's supposed to be, especially in this time. Most people are smelling like fear, smelling like insecurity. Please give off a different aroma. Prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. There's an overflowing. And why would your cup overflow? Why? Because there are people that don't have anything in their cup. God's given you a bunch, made you lie down in green pastures. There's a lot of other grass that you don't even need to eat because you're full. God's given you a bunch. He's given you some so you can give to somebody else. Your cup overflows. Reach out. Go beyond yourself. And surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a promise we have, that God's goodness and his mercy will follow us, not our mistakes. The great thing about being a Christian is that all of us get the privilege of having our past obliterated. Everything for which we need should be paying for, 
have a consequence of everything we have done has been wiped out by the blood of the cross, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is a great privilege. Therefore, all of my mistakes, all of my misdeeds, they are going to follow me. They are trying. They're trying, but they won't. They are going to overtake me. There is a sense that God has put a stop to that and made sure that only two things are going to follow me for the rest of my days. Goodness and mercy. That I'm going to have his goodness seen in my life, in my family, in my church, in my community. That his prevalence of kindness, that his prevailing grace is going to be ordinary in my community, especially in times of difficulty. Because then it gets amplified. And I get to be one of the ones that are the purveyors of it. I get to be the communicator of it. His goodness is following me. And wherever I go, it comes in with me. Secondly is mercy. That he is covering my flaws. He's helping me in my foibles. He's covering my sin. He's dealing with my consequences. So that every day I don't have to be concerned about condemnation for the things that I did 35, 40, 50 years ago. Or the sin I did yesterday. My God is merciful. And as a result, he lets me change my address. I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't just visit. I get to live there. It's my forwarding address. He ain't kicked me out yet. I've given him more than enough opportunity. But every time I, I come, in, come in the house, when I get on the stoop, he ain't changed the locks. I still got a key. I get to live there forever. And when I abide in his house, protection is normative. And provision is ordinary. Who are you following? Who's your leader? Let him guide you well this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Help us to be the kind of people that can help others, please. And I pray for everybody who is dealing with a spirit of fear. If that's you, I want you to pray with me and I want you to repent. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It's in Timothy. You who have given in to fear and let it begin to influence your decision making, pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry. I choose to trust you with all of my heart. Deliver me from every spirit of fear to which I have given myself. And help me to submit to your spirit every moment of every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. There may be people here who or watching online and you'd like to make a decision for Christ. He's a good God. He loves you. He cares for you. He gave his life for your benefit. 
He died on the cross so that you didn't have to suffer your own death. Suffer the penalty for your wrongdoing. He paid it for you. Everything you've done wrong deserves some kind of punishment. But he said, I'll take it. The wages of sin is death. We deserve that. He took it in our stead. The only way he could do it is if he had never sinned, which he had not. That evidenced by the fact that he rose from the dead because anybody who had not sinned could not stay dead. And so he rose. And as a result of his rising, we understand that our forgiveness is complete. Our debt has been paid. If you want to receive that, the benefit that God has given you, if you want to receive it today, just pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me for everything I've done wrong. I am sorry for the way I've lived. And I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin. I choose to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You who prayed that prayer, look on the chat area there, and there'll be some people who can, who can correspond with you when you click on the area that you responded to the prayer of salvation today. We love you. And we want to do everything we can to help you be successful in the decision that you've made.